looking at 1 Peter chapter 3. As you're turning there, we have um, discovered and decided to defend the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Now with that proposition comes the number one obstacle to Christ followers declaring the truth of Jesus Christ. And that happens to be fear. In survey after survey for more than three decades, fear has been identified as the number one reason Christians do not share the faith or defend the faith of Jesus Christ. There is the fear of rejection. There is the fear of not having answers to questions. There is the fear of social ostr- uh, being ostracized socially and a variety of um, other fears that arise with that. That reminds me of the woman who was out on visitation one evening with the visitation team. Uh, This was a ministry where they visited guests from the church to share the gospel with them. And she came back excited after her first evening visiting with the visitation teams. She said, all of my prayers were answered. I prayed that no one would be home when we knocked on the door and no one was. (laughs) She was absolutely beside herself. She was thrilled. Well, that is indicative of uh, great fear when it comes to sharing the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter understood that, and Peter addressed that. I remember reading a number of years ago an experienced missionary who really probably has been the most effective we've ever known, who said that when I came to you to share the gospel of Christ, I was with you in weakness, fear, and in much trembling. In other words, he was an emotional wreck. He actually confessed, I was there doing my missionary work in weakness, fear, in much trembling, you'll recognize him as the author of 1 Corinthians 2, 3, the Apostle Paul. And I would say to you, if fear was a challenge for him, most likely it's a challenge for us as well. And Peter is very sympathetic towards that. Here, he says, fear does not have to master you in your present life. Beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 13, he says, And who is he who will harm you? If you become followers of what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord Christ in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You do not have to be mastered by fear, but you can stand publicly for Jesus Christ. God provides for that. Well, how is it that God has provided for that? Well, we find several things in this text. One is perspective. God provides perspective to overcome the fear of speaking for Christ. That's verses 13 and 14. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of good? But even if you suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. I did uh, youth camps when I was uh, in seminary. And I did them for three full summers. And over three summers, we had 15,000 students and adults attend these youth camps over three summers. A total of 15,000 for the three summers. 
And every week, every camper would evaluate my work and my performance that week. So I received at least 15,000 evaluations. I must say to you, 14,999 were good. One was awful, and that's the only one I remember. It ripped me to shreds. In fact, the adult who evaluated me that week had to add a piece of paper to inform the world just how much of a twin brother to the devil I happened to be. And that is the one I happen to remember. And you know something? He came from a church that a couple of years ago actually ordained a homosexual to ministry. And they were on that trajectory back more than 20 years ago when they came to our camp. And despite that, that is still the only evaluation I remember. I have forgotten the 14,999 that were positive. And I wasn't alone in that. Most everyone got a very positive evaluation during the week, and so that's not unusual uh, at all. It, what was unusual to was to have a negative evaluation like that, and yet that is the one that still bothers me and still upsets me even to this particular day. In fact, I would say to you, it provided for me a toxic pool and I've been swimming in it for more than 20 years. You know, that's how it is, isn't it? Well, Peter addresses that, that tendency. We do have a tendency to swim in the rare negative evaluation, the rare negative experience, and to forget the many more that are affirming and encouraging. Well, that's what he's talking about in verse 13. Look, this is a rhetorical question that expects an answer. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Well, let me ask you that. I mean, really, living in this metro area, really, who is going to harm you or fuss at you if you follow what is good? If you really do declare the good news of Christ and back it up with your life, really, who's going to bother you over that? May I say to you, I've been here for a little less than six months. I've tried to witness multiple times. I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with multiple people and have not had one negative encounter with a single individual. Whether downtown, West Athens, the South Park, the North Park, doesn't make any difference. It is very rare to run into any negative experiences when you're trying to follow and to speak that which is good. But if you do happen to, then Peter gives... A, uh, another statement in the second part of verse 13, or in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. In other words, whatever negative you do face, which is going to be rare to begin with, you do have long-term blessings. In other words, the negative evaluation and the negative response towards you because you share Christ is short-lived while the blessings God gives you are long-term and eternal. I've gone through First Peter this week, in fact, and listed some of them, some of the blessings that come our way because of a person who is in Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3, there's a living hope secured by Christ's resurrection. Chapter 1, verse 4, in Christ, our inheritance is an incorruptible, undefiled, and unfading, reserved in heaven for you. Chapter 1, verse 5, those that are in Christ are kept by the power of God through faith. Chapter 1, verse 9, the end is salvation of your soul if you know Christ. Chapter 1, verse 13, there is a future grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 18, we're not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood 
of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 23, those that are in Christ are born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Chapter 1, verse 25, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The promise of the Lord endures forever. Chapter 2, verse 4, those that know Christ are chosen and precious in God. Chapter 2, verse 5, those in Christ are being built up into a spiritual palace. Chapter 2, verse 6, we shall never be put to shame if we're in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 9, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people called out of darkness into light. Chapter 2, verse 10, we formerly were not a people, but in Christ we are the people of God and have obtained mercy. Chapter 2, verse 24, Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. Chapter 2, verse 25, if you're in Christ, you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Chapter 3, verse 18, Christ suffered for the unjust. Chapter 3, verse 21, we can have a good conscience before God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead if we're in Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1, Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Chapter 5, verse 10, we've been called to God's eternal glory or His eternal uh, approval. Whatever you face in this life in terms of ridicule, misunderstanding, or rejection is short-lived, but the blessings of God are secured in Christ, and they are eternal. You can put up with a little difficulty, beloved. Now, what I want to make clear to you is this. Everyone else in the culture has come out of the closet. How about we join them? So a little bit of perspective is going to help us. But there's a second thing. Not only perspective, but preparation. There are three elements of preparation that can help us in this text. One is to eliminate cowardice is Lord. Chapter, 14, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. That is a commandment. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Whenever fear paralyzes us into silence, then fear has become our master. And Jesus no longer is. In other words, if God gives us a commandment, that implies something. When God gives you and me a commandment, you should not be intimidated or bothered by that. You should not be discouraged by any commandment of God. Do you know why? Because if God has given you a commandment, he implies that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can obey it. You can do anything that is in the will of God, and every one of His commandments are His will. And so, everyone that is in Jesus Christ has access to the power plant of heaven. You do not have to walk alone. You can be a victorious person, overcoming every challenge, every difficulty in the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So eliminate fear as Lord, but that's not all. Elevate Christ as Lord. He says here, but sanctify the Lord Christ. The best translations say, sanctify the Lord Christ as Lord in your heart. In other words, that commitment that you make to Jesus Christ as Lord needs to take place every time you face fear. When you face fear and it intimidates you to be silent, you've got a choice to make. Who is going to be Lord? Jesus Christ or my fear? And we are to make this commitment to Christ as Lord, which implies He's God. We are to make this commitment to Christ as Lord, uh, beloved, with the pure heart. 
Second uh, Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. God eagerly and graciously and effusively and abundantly and mercifully shares the power of heaven with all of those who completely give their hearts to him whose heart is not divided in its loyalties, whose minds are not divided in loyalties, but are completely given to Him. And may I say to you, He is far more worthy of your reverence and awe and fear than any fear or any human on this earth. Far more worthy. It reminds me of a uh, sergeant in World War II, Richard Redding, who was on the island of Sicily. And he would climb up telephone poles and connect communication lines between the telephone poles is what he would do. And as he did that, the Nazis would fly over Sicily and bomb the island. And here he is on top of a telephone pole, the closest American soldier in all of Sicily to the Nazi planes and cannons loaded onto their their planes. And uh, one lieutenant general was down at the foot of one of these telephone poles one day as Sergeant Redding was up at the top connecting, connecting communication lines. And he said, son, are you afraid? He said, yes, sir. He said, then why do you stay up there? He said, because I'm more afraid of you than I am the Nazi, sir. (laughs) And he was speaking to Lieutenant General George Patton. (laughs) Yes. May I say to you, Jesus Christ is the affection of heaven. Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God. Jesus Christ was present at creation and flung the world into existence by a word. Jesus Christ lived a sinless and impeccable life. Jesus Christ broke up every funeral he attended. They never buried the corpse when he was on the scene. Jesus Christ was crucified at the cross, raised again from a borrowed tomb on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, has been reigning and sessioned in glory for two millenniums, and is coming back again. Jesus Christ is more worthy of your awe and reverence and fear than any human. Fear Him, don't fear man. And when you do, the Lord will give you the power plant of heaven. So eliminate cowardice as Lord and elevate Christ as Lord and then explain your confidence in the Lord. Verse number 15 and 16. Sanctify the Lord Christ in your hearts and always be ready to give an apology on. An apology on to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear or meekness and respect. Be ready to give a defense. Be ready to explain your apologion. This was used for a court defense when a person would give testimony in court. Be ready to give that. Apology has taken on an additional meaning in the English language to mean I'm sorry, but that's not in the word here. It wasn't present in the first century. Instead, it is to give a defense. And so you defend the hope that is in you. You explain the confidence that you have in the Lord and what a great hope you have. Now, oftentimes when I defend the faith or I give reasons for the faith, uh, there are a couple of things I use. Uh, For example, I asked an atheist the other day, if atheism is so wonderful, why wasn't Jesus an atheist? Well, that puts the atheist in the uncomfortable position of having to disagree with Jesus Christ. If 
doubt in the Bible is such an admirable position. Why didn't Jesus doubt the Bible? Why did he affirm it? If, if believing that other paths lead to God and forgiveness in heaven, why did Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In other words, what we do immediately is that we point to Jesus Christ and we put people in the uncomfortable position of having to disagree with Christ. And, and they really haven't thought of that before. But then, besides using Christ, I, I, I use four questions as well, generally, when meeting someone who may disagree with some element of the Christian faith of the gospel. And the first question is, what do, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Henry Ford said, thinking is the most difficult thing in the world to do, and that's why most people don't do it. And, and I've got to tell you, I've discovered that's true. Most people just grab on a position and a concept like Velcro without thinking. And it attaches to them immediately, makes them feel good, and they go on, and they don't reflect on it. And so you have to be careful. You can't be an intellectual bully. But just to make sure that you understand each other's terms and to make sure the person to whom you're speaking understands, you ask the question, what do you mean by that? I will tell you that many people's positions collapse with that one question. Because finally they hear articulated a silly position that is in variance to Jesus Christ. But the second question I usually ask is, uh, what is your source of information? Where did you get your information? And of course you know in this day that many derive their information from that wonderfully reliable source called the Internet. Oh yes. Well, that is still somewhat embarrassing to derive your sole information from there, but there may be a particular website. I will say to you, there are some very reliable websites, and there are some that are profoundly unreliable. But then the third question is, how do you know your source of information is true? Well, oftentimes people grasp onto something because it confirms what they already believe or what they want to believe not because it is sound. And then the fourth and final question is, and I usually preface this question with, now this is kind of a tough question. It is, and I don't mean to be offensive, but if you were wrong, would you really want to know? Well, that tests people's humility. And folks, I've got to say to you, what people need, most people, is not more information, but more humility. Because the secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. God is with the humble and contrite heart. And God will unveil Himself to anybody who's humble and will follow the truth wherever it takes them. And so there is an opportunity to be prepared. I've got to say to you, instead of being fearful, how about getting prepared instead? That's going to help you greatly. So perspective and then preparation. But there's a third thing, and that is peace. God provides peace to overcome the fear of speaking for Christ. And, and, and there are three sources of peace. Uh, peace comes from a better future. Verse number 16. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. When you stand for Jesus Christ, 
There is an implicit promise there that anyone who disagrees with the Lord Jesus Christ one day will run into the cement brick wall of shame before God. In other words, there's a very real sense in which the Lord will vindicate you. Now, I've been vindicated before, and I have to tell you, I don't really enjoy it. In fact, I've been vindicated many times on some pretty serious issues. And it really isn't a lot of fun. Because usually when God vindicates his people, someone gets hurt or embarrassed and they end up facing shame. I don't want you to crow and get too excited about being vindicated. The vindication really is not for you. It's for the person that is burning in shame over the foolishness of their position. In fact, David prayed in the Psalms, Lord, fill their faces with shame that they may turn to you. And that's our heart. That's our spirit. So we don't get too excited about, uh, about being vindicated. But there is a better future. In fact, what the scripture teaches is that just as we glorify God, if you'll stand for Christ with a gentle and sweet spirit, as outlined in verse 15, if you'll do that, not only will you glorify Jesus Christ, but he will glorify you. Now that is a stunning thing. Romans chapter 8 verse 30. God is in the business of announcing universally his approval of his people. And he will do that. And again, if you long for his approval more than others, then you're in a great position to stand for Jesus Christ. So peace comes from a better future. Peace also comes from a better present in the present tense. Uh, verse number 17. I agree with this full, uh, fully as I think about some of the mistakes I've made in the past. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than, to do, than for doing evil. I learned that the hard way when I was in college. I worked for a Chevrolet dealership in college, and I delivered parts to body shops and repair shops throughout East Texas. And one day I delivered some body parts to a body shop on Grand Avenue in Marshall, Texas, and the owner there that signed for the parts on his best day was pretty grumpy. But on this particular day that I showed up and delivered parts, he was grumpy on steroids. And he really annoyed me. I got back to the parts department at the Chevrolet dealership and I complained to my manager. Not, not a formal complaint, I was just miffed and upset. Now my parts manager was not a model disciple of Christ. He was a blue streak cusser. Do you know what that means? He had a hard time saying a sentence without including two or three four-letter words. And some I'd never heard of. He would invent them. And sometimes they would come out like machine gun fire. And I grew up in the home of a Navy sailor, and I still hadn't heard of all these things that Kim, K-E-M, announced on those days. But that's not all. Kim was married with children, and he would make comments about any woman who passed through the parts department. And they were not edifying. 
He was very unpleasant to work with. He was good at his job, but very unpleasant to work with. Well, I came in that day, having visited this body shop, and complained about the grumpy man who was super grumpy that day. And Kim retorted back to me real kindly and very compassionately, well, his wife is suffering from cancer. And he's been really upset for quite some time. He used to be a happy man. But this has really hurt him. And all of a sudden, the realization came over me that this lust-filled, blue street cusser has more compassion like Christ for this man than I ever did. I should have asked questions. I should have investigated. I should have prayed about it. But instead, I'm unveiling my aggravation to my parts manager instead of my God. Do you know something? Today, as I tell you that, I'm embarrassed that I did that. And so I agree with verse number 17. It is better, if it's the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's true. The best thing for you to do in this life, if you have to suffer is suffer for speaking for Christ instead of suffering the guilt of silence. Trust me, it is far better in the present to do that. So peace comes from a better future. Peace comes from a better present. Peace comes also from a better past. Verse number 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins. That's all it took. The just for the unjust. So any human that's ever been unjust, and all the world is, Christ suffered at the cross for that person. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. There is peace knowing that at the very least, you act like Jesus when you you share the good news and suffer for it. That's what Christ did. And he did it to bring us back to God. Now, I've got to be very honest with you. Confessing Christ is an expectation the Father has for all. In fact, the scripture makes it very clear. That on that last day, when all the earth is gathered gathered before him, the living and the dead, the small and the great, are gathered before him. Watch this. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess. Whether in heaven or on the earth or even under the earth. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father will have great approval on that day for that confession. But for too many it will be too late. Now in this era you can confess Jesus Christ is Lord and have the approval of Almighty God in doing so if you will confess Him then as Lord and Savior. And I've got to say to you, If you are intensely committed to the approval of people so much so that they can silence you for Christ, Jesus has a heartbreaking warning in Mark 8, 38. Are you familiar with it? It should be one of the first Bible verses any of us memorize. It says, and he who is ashamed of me and my words, 
Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. You can come to Jesus Christ as a sinner. You can come to Jesus Christ with any scandal in your life. If you have a broken and contrite heart, you can come. But the Father will not let you get near His Son if you're a coward. His Son is too honorable to be in the presence of cowardice. And He won't have His Son dishonored that way. I know He loves you, but He loves Jesus more. And He is going to create a world where Jesus Christ is celebrated effusively and zealously with every tongue, with every heart, with every mind, with every fiber of every being. He will be exalted and His name will endure in glory forever. And He will not let cowardice or hesitation or reservation get anywhere near His Son at all. And so if your heart respects the approval of men more than the glory of Jesus Christ, you have to stay where you are. You can't have Him. His Father won't let you. I mean, look, folks. Hasn't Jesus been through enough? His Father will not let Him endure any more suffering than what He's already endured. So if you're a coward, you're excluded. There's no way to make this easier. I know it's like doing surgery with this pulpit, trying to cut open someone with this pulpit. There's no way to make it easier. It is a ragged edge. It cuts. May I suggest then that if you're a coward then that you let your heart break. Confess it to God. Repent. Turn from it. And discover why it is the Father has such intense affection for His Son and why He insists upon a pure atmosphere where His Son will reign and rule. Now while you can't come to Him as a coward, you can come as a sinner. He invites you to come. Come poor and broken and needy. All that are hurt and wounded by the fall and their own foolish choices. There is enough grace in His Son to cancel all your sins. And the good news is He does that because He's risen from the dead. And all the great things He's ever done, He's still doing today because He is alive. And anyone whose heart will break and and separate his heart by a decision to turn from those things and embrace Jesus Christ in faith can be saved. Christian, you've had some difficult moments too. God wants you to repent from cowardice. Some of you have received the Lord, but you've been too afraid of the baptistry. You need to come anyway. I have baptized people that are terrified of water. One day I'll be- tell you about the six foot four, 300 pound woman I baptized. Hated water. And it was an event. 
and she didn't get over it when she got into the baptistry. I had waiters on. She nearly took me under and drowned me. But she went under for the Lord because she trusted Jesus. And she set aside her fear of water because she trusted Christ. Others of you, God's calling to ministry or missionary service. Others of you, God is calling to become part of Beach Haven Baptist Church. It's time to set aside cowardice, to exalt Jesus like His Father in all of heaven does. And you have that opportunity right now. Father, we want to ask you to do a neat work in hearts and lives. Would you please, oh please God, do all the work of the Holy Spirit necessary to help friends turn to Jesus with great love and affection and adoration. Just like a family admires a bride who walks down the aisle. And just like a family admires a son or a daughter on the court or the ball field in a team uniform. May we admire and love the Lord Jesus even more. Help us to be proud of Him and boast wildly in Him. Would you help us to have that kind of heart? And then, Father, as the days go by, may our affection grow more and more abundantly until it matches the affection for Jesus that you yourself have. Would you begin that work here today? Now we're going to sing a song. And as we sing, staff will stand here on the front. We want to ask you to make your way quickly, without cowardice, down one of these aisles to meet a staff member to help you meet your spiritual need. Would you come do that? Some of you, this week during Vacation Bible School, gave your life to Christ. We want you to come. If you come, please bring a parent or another adult. Some of you aren't really sure about this, but you want us to pray for you. You come. Bring an adult, if you will, and we want to meet your need as well. Would you quietly stand with me and real quickly stand with me? I'm going to finish my prayer, and we're going to ask you to come. Lord, as we sing this song, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and redeemer. Acceptable in your sight. No matter the cost. Because Jesus Christ is Lord and worthy of all. In his name, his dear name, amen.